This is the Wine World, where Heine Johansson interviewed top of the pops wine people from all over the world. The Wine World podcast is back. In this episode, we're speaking with Gianluca Colombo. Gianluca resides in uh, Piedmont. He's been an uh, onologist uh, consultant for many years. And for about 12 years, he has produced his own wine, as well as running a bed and breakfast in Roddy, together with his wife, Alessandra, under the name of uh, Sanji de Lenga. I'm very happy to have you here today, Gianluca. Welcome. Welcome and thank you. First of all, for those who don't speak Italian, what does uh, Sanji de Lenga mean? The meaning is a fingerprint of Lange region because it reminds you the first label I've done in the past when I started the production. I used to use a, a Bordeaux bottle where I were adding manual my fingerprint one by one in each bottle. So it lasted until vintage 15. Then I had uh, to change the packaging because I became uh, my packaging victim. So I had to spend a long time just uh, uh, putting my fingerprint in each bottle because I wanted to give the message to my clients that uh, that bottle was mine, produced by me. It's like a signature, but I wanted to do something much more complicated, and uh, now I changed the label. What was your way into the wine industry? When I was 14 years old, I said to my father that I want to be an aircraft pilot. So I did a subscription to the high school uh, for uh, aircraft pilot, but then it was far away from my home. I used to spend uh, only in, uh, even in the college uh, a lot of time out of home. So I said, no, I want to stay close to my friends. So I said, I want to be a lawyer. So I um, started the study in the scientific uh, school, and but I had to study Latin. I had to study something that I didn't like. So after two years, uh, the director of the school told me, I think this is not your way, better <laughs> if you change the school. And uh, I thought, I will try with the high school in enology and viticulture. Let's see. And I don't know why. Probably was lucky I found my patient there. So I did the high school in enology, the degree in enology, the master degree in enology, and I did a little bit of research in university as well. And then I started as a winemaker consultant. And you think that you got an use of wanting to be a, a pilot and wanting to be a lawyer in, in uh, working with enology? Uh, I really don't know. No, no, I don't think so. I was young. I, I dreamed to be, you know, an aircraft pilot. And uh, sometimes we have some dream that then it changed. I don't have any regret. I really love what I'm doing. I meet people from all over the world. Uh, uh, it's not a job. Every morning I wake up and I watch the sky and I decide what to do. Every vintage is completely different than the previous one. So it's a stimulating work at the end. You don't have anything uh, scheduled. And it's never the same. So I like it a lot. Your way into the to to sort of started making wine was as a consultant more than being born into a, a winery. My origin are my father is from Barbaresco, the famous wine. My mom she's from Sardinia. I'm a blend of two different Italian regions. My grandfather used to have a, a small winery in Barbaresco, but then uh, he left. And uh, my uncle just is still, I hope, think, selling the grapes to Antinori family. He didn't want to start a winery business. He just said, I, in October, my job is finished and I received the money in the bank account. But I told him that I wanted to make wine. He said, uh, find your way. Um, 
so I had the I had to start by myself because I didn't have any family heritage, and uh, the best way to learn was to work as employee with Winemaker Consultant because I had this, the opportunity of doing like 20, 30, 40 vintages in one. We had a lot of uh, casistic, a lot of uh, wineries, a lot of experience uh, because I needed to learn faster and better than the others. How is uh, working as a consultant different from uh, working on your own winery? There's two ways of being a consultant, in my opinion. The first one is the politic. So you always please your clients. You say always yes to everything and you receive the payment of your invoice. In my case, uh, the consultancy is something much more complex because it's much more psychology. So I have to understand the wine that the client wants to produce, checking the potential of his vineyard, his structure, his, even his mentality. Because sometimes it happens to me that I have a, a producer with fantastic vineyards, but I didn't produce the maximum quality of wine available, possible, because he wasn't able to uh, have wine so good. So it's me that I have to understand until uh, which is the limit that I can reach with a client. So it's much more complex to create a wine identity following the identity of producer, not mine, and uh, to f- to make a wine that fits the producer, not me. It's not easy. It's uh, if you want to do that job uh, properly, it requires a lot of attention and uh, even to know the person we are talking with. And uh, so step by step, I said maybe it's time to me to go back in my in, to go back to start something mine to put all my effort and my passion there. Because at the beginning, I said, nobody will buy my wines because I'm the last one. Nobody knows me. I'm uh, unknown. But then during the time, during the years, I realized that uh, probably there's as well space for me under this guy as a wine producer because I do that for, for passion. So passion is something that is a message that goes and people feel and uh, helps. There's a size different, uh, difference as well. I'd, I would guess that on a larger producer, you would have to think more in the terms of uh, homogeneous production, more in the terms of getting every bottle the same. Whilst when you're working, you're quite a small producer still. And working in, as a smaller producer, you can have more of a creativity towards the wines that you're, you're making. I get experience in a big, big cellar. We were producing a million bottles per year. And uh, I left after three years because uh, they didn't ask me to produce the best wine possible. They just asked me to produce a wine stable without any sediments, without any problem, without any cloudiness, nothing. So after years where I was trying to make better wines, uh, I said, no, this is not my job. In fact, even as a consultant, I always work with the small companies, small wineries. In my case, my winery is really small because I'm producing 32,000 bottles per year. So I'm not ready yet for the China. In those 32,000 bottles, it's still uh, different cuvées as well. Different wines, yes. I do produce at the moment uh, six wines. Pinot Noir, Barbera, Nebbiolo, Barolo, Pela Verga, and uh, the new, the red wine, the funky barbecue red wine. One of the things I like about your wines is that they're very elegant in their style. What ideals are you trying to obtain in your wines? Good question. Uh, everything started um, by my experience. So I born as a winemaker in the period of the modernist Barolos. So the time where the barrique was largely used to produce wines, oki, vanilla, toast. So at, the, at that moment, if I think about it, it looks like uh, the more the wine was oki, the more it was expensive. 
And uh, once that during these days, we, for, for example, me personally, I don't like them anymore. But I used to like them because it was that period. People were selling bar wines in uh, Barolo, even made with uh, a lot of oak with small barriques. And uh, my inspiration, what changed everything, was my, the visits that I've done in the Saturday morning to the Bruno Giacosa winery. But the owner didn't know that it was there. So me and Francesco is a former winemaker, internal winemaker. We were spending Saturday morning, tasted from the big tank of Oco Bruno Giacosa, and they said, wow, but those Barolos are completely different than the others I always taste. They're already pleasant and drinkable, even if they have six months, one, one year old, they were perfect. They said, there's something wrong. He's so famous. He sells the bottles for a very high price, and he produces wine so fine and elegant. Second, my experience uh, with um, mainly French wines. So I started to taste uh, a lot of wines from uh, our cousins, and uh, I learned a lot about the finesse. So in my case, I don't want to emulate the France because it's impossible. I'm in Piedmont, I'm in Italy. We have our own great variety. But what I try to learn is uh, the stylistic, so that at the end we can uh, do the resume and this less is more. Many times less is more. Many years ago, I was talking to Coralia Pignotelli of the Castellan Villa Chianti Classico. And, uh, Fantastic winery, in my opinion. She had uh, this quote where she said uh, about over-oaked wines that I like to drink wines. I do not drink wood. Do you know which is the um, way for me to measure the quality of my wines? So during the whole process, during the vinification, when I test the juice fermenting, when I test the wine in oak aging, when I choose the right container after the oak aging, sometimes they're going out for us, sometimes no. When I say, okay, now it's time to go in the bottle, the only... Question I, I have in my mind is, am I able to drink a, a whole bottle of this wine? If the answer is yes, I go in the bottle. Otherwise, no. Because in my opinion, the good bottle of wine is the empty one, always. When I visited you some years ago, we got to talking about uh, your Pinot Noir especially. And you said that you were confident in working with Nebbiolo, with Barbera, with other local grapes, but working with Pinot was something that you had to experiment with to, uh, you know, understand. First of all, there's been a couple of years. Have you come to that point now when, when you feel you have a full understanding of, of the Pinot Noir? And secondly, do you apply the same principles to your Pinot as to your uh, uh, Nebbiolo, for instance? Another fantastic question. My experience with the Pinot Noir is still the same. So if you ask me if I know how to produce a Pinot Noir, the answer is no. I think it's still the most challenging variety in the vineyard, in the cellar. For sure, I have more experience than three, three years ago, but I'm still almost at the same point. What I'm thinking is that, what I'm sure about is that the Pinot Noir is ripe two days per year, every vineyard. We are now we are, there are three vineyards in the production. They arrive two days per year. I have to find the right day. This is the key point for the quality. But to arrive at the harvest moment, there's a lot of work behind. And then there's a lot of work in the cellar. But the only things I'm sure is that everything I do is wrong, usually. Uh, Pinot Noir is a wine uh, that requires white gloves. We have to pay a lot of attention. Uh, and anything we do sometimes is, it doesn't work. Um, I still dream to produce a Pinot Noir that probably I will never produce in my life. Even if... Every year I go a little bit closer to my target because the new vineyard planted by me, they are starting to give me a good production in terms of quality. And the more they get old, the more they get better quality. 
And the Pinot teach me a lot about the sense of touch. So now I'm much more dedicated with the other varieties. So it was uh, really a good training, and it is a, still a good training, uh, how to approach even the other varieties. Everybody has to plant the two rows of Pinot Noir, all the wine producers, in my opinion. I was in an earlier episode, I was talking to Franco Masolino, and he talked about Nebbiolo as the Pinot Noir of the Lange. Do you see any resemblance in that or and in working with it? Uh, many people say that because uh, probably the territory they are so similar. For example, in my case, uh, I manage five hectares and a half splattered in 17 different plots, like the Burgundian producers. Uh, Burgundy and Barolo, they are similar because there's a lot of many, uh, lot of, uh, of small farm, small producers. Uh, regarding the variety, mm, I don't find so many connection in between the two. The, personally, so it's my experience. Nebbiolo has a um, humanistic ripeness. So, in my opinion, everything it tells you is in my opinion. Uh, we have to go to the vineyard, we have to taste the, the grapes, and they change every day. So the sugar content, for example, in the ripeness control in Nebbiolo, in my opinion, they're not so important because once Nebbiolo reaches 14, 14 and a half of alcohol, it doesn't increase so much and so fast. So it's only a question of tennis because, you know, Nebbiolo is rich in tennis where Pinot Noir, no. Nebbiolo have completely different flavors than Pinot Noir. Uh, Nebbiolo is, has more alcohol usually than Pinot Noir. Nebbiolo harvest is the like October, second half of October. I harvest the Pinot Noir at the beginning of September. So they're very, very different in my opinion. They are both uh, sensible, that's true, delicate. Uh, but if you ask me, even when I drink the, the wines, uh, I have my idea. So when uh, the first 10 years I drink a Pinot Noir, from 10 to 20 I drink a Barolo, after 20 I drink Bordeaux. So even that, I am, uh, I, I am, they are not so similar, in my opinion. Probably we have to pay the same attention, yes, that, that's true. They require a lot of attention. I think a bit of his point as well was that the, both the Nebbiolo and the Pinot Noir changes quite a lot on which terroir it gets grown on. And yeah, that's true, I agree, that's true. They change a lot, even inside the Barrow region that is um, very small. We have probably a thousand different expressions of Nebbiolo. So there's no wine called Barolo. There are probably a thousand wines called Barolo. All of them good, good in a different way. And the Pinot Noir vines that you have, have you planted them yourself? Uh, two vineyards were planted by myself. One, no, was already planted 30 years ago, and they didn't know what they planted. They said, we asked for a Pinot Noir. Yeah, so they were lucky then. <laughs> <laughs> So and and you when you planted it, what were you looking for in uh, in the vineyards in the terroir when you wanted to plant your Pinot Noir? Okay, I planted Pinot Noir, not in the Burgundian way. So I don't have ten thousand vines per hectare. I, we don't use the same tractors because we have different hills, much more steep. We have different exposition, not almost only east like Burgundy. I look a lot, uh, look pay attention a lot to, to the limestone. So I'm looking for soils high, with a high concentration of limestone, the highest possible. Soils that are not, don't have to be so generous. So the vines have to be tired a little bit to produce the quality. So the, I like the vines a little bit in stress because usually when the wines have a small stress, they produce better quality grapes. I pay a lot of attention at the moment with the Woodstock 
because uh, the climate has changed. It's not anymore the, the one that we had 10, 20 years ago. For example, we are coming uh, here after two years of uh, dryness, very important dryness. And so when I plant a vineyard these days, I'm using Woodstock that they go so deep down underground to look for the water where it is. Uh, the clones that they use are clones of the Codor, the classic, so 777, 115. They don't give me a lot of production, but with the Pinot Noir, we have to know that the production is always low and lower than our expectation, always. I haven't tasted that many Pinot Noirs from Italy, but I still think yours are probably, or not probably, yours are the best one I've tasted from Italy. Going a bit further, you do produce a little bit of Barolo as well. How is you, you, you talked a, a little bit about it earlier, but how is your style of Barolo? I'm a young producer of Barolo. My first vintage was a 16, where I did produce just 1,000 bottles, almost just for me and my friends. And uh, 17, uh, 2,500, 2,518, 1,319, the current vintage, is changing because uh, the vineyards are changing. So I have Bricambrogi and Roddi, Roera di Santa Maria and La Morra. In 1718, I had a, part of, a plot of Busia. In 19, there's not any more Busia. In 20, I will add Ravera, a very important single vineyard. I started thinking with the first vintage of production, what I want to do as a Barolo. And uh, I know that I don't have the, I told you before, I like Bruno Giacosa, but I don't have his source, his vineyards. I'm in a very far, uh, I'm far away from him. So I thought, which is uh, the good idea, the, the best idea to produce a Barolo. And in my opinion was to produce a classic Barolo as a blend of different single vineyard, coming back to the past, as Barolo used to be many years ago. Little bit like Bartolo Mascarello does. He's the only one that just produced one Barolo. And um, I'm doing like Bartolo Mascarello at the moment, just one Barolo as a blend of different single vineyard. My aim is to produce a Barolo that when it's released, people can enjoy all bottle. And if they wait 10 years, they can enjoy much better the bottle. So a wine uh, understandable and uh, that I can have fun when I taste it without any troubles. I don't have to be scared to open the bottle of Barolo because it's too complex. It can be complex, but it has to be approachable and drinkable. That's my idea. You produce some other wines as well. For several years, you've had uh, quite peculiar one liter bottle of new on the Norwegian market. What kind of wine is this? The new is the most important wine I do produce. I tell you why. It's the cheapest one and it's the most important. Uh, the first vintage was the 16. The name Nu is not for the Scandinavian countries, but uh, comes from Chinese medicine, where Nu means anger. In fact, in the label, you can see me screaming because uh, that was my first uh, um, answer to my sales consultant in the past when he told me, Gianluca, in order of increasing the quality of the white labels of all your wines, you need to produce a red wine as a blend of everything you don't like in the blend of the Pinot Noir, the Barbera, and the Nebbiolo. And I told him, are you crazy? I'm in a very conservative, a traditional area. I won't produce a Nipster wine, a one liter bottle, crown cap. I did it. So new is really important because it uh, helps me when I do the blend. For example, three vineyards of Pinot Noir. Um, I never use the 100% of the three vineyards because wine is not mathematic. Three good wines blended together, they don't get you a good wine. Finding the balance always uh, needs to remove part of 
one of the second vineyards of two out of three. I don't know. It depends on the vintage. The wines are really good, the wines that I'm not using, but they are not good for the Pinot Noir I want to produce. So what I do, or I sell them as a book wines for nothing, or thanks to the, my friend's idea, I started to blend all the Barbera, all the Pinot Noir, the small vineyards of Nebbiolo, I don't use it for my Nebbiolo, and the Dolcetto together, producing a red wine, barbecue wine, I call it, very humble, easy to drink, enjoyable, that um, will not help me to do investment in the winery, but pays all the cost of production. So that's it. I'm calling it uh, the Chinese new is a preparement for going into the Chinese market as well. (laughs) (laughs) It's not uh, my target for the next years. (laughs) Not Uh, yet. You you also make a Verduno Pellaverga. I did a search on the wine monopoly list and I found uh, five Verduno Pellavergas, whereas three of them are available. In other words, they're not especially well-known style of wine in Norway. Would you enlighten the audience in what to expect in drinking a Verduno Pellaverga? It's not easy to find a Pellaverga because it's the, Verduno Pellaverga is the smallest denomination inside the Lange region. Because you're allowed to produce Pellaverga just in Verduno part of La Mora and part of Rodi Village. That's it. We are 15 producers, and I guess the total production is around 100,000 bottles. I'm producing 2,000 bottles of Bella Verga in total per year. I, wa- I planted the vineyard because I wanted to produce this wine. I'm really um, happy when I can challenge myself with indigenous grape variety, rare grape variety. And Bella Verga is an indigenous grape variety of the village where I live, so why not? I thought as well that I can do a better interpretation of the grape variety because usually in our culture, Pelaverga is a summer wine. So in the spring, we do the bottling and in the summertime, you pour it cool, you chill out and you drink easily. Uh, I think Barbera, uh, Pelaverga can be something uh, more than this. In fact, usually my Pelaverga is much better one year or two years after the bottling time. Uh, what you have to expect, a wine uh, light in color, first of all, almost like an Nebbiolo. But when you put the nose in the glass, you will clearly understand that it's not Nebbiolo because you have a lot of spiciness. It looks, it looks like we added pepper during the vinification, lavender, dried herbs, but spiciness and pepper is the incense as well, are the clear indicator of Vela Verga. Then in the mouth, he has, he has a little bit of tannins, but not so many, not like the Nebbiolo. In my case, I try to keep the acidity, so I always harvest the grapes with around 13 and a half of alcohol, 13.2, 13.6, because it's the well balanced for the acidity I want to keep in my wine. A good drinkability, not so important and strong like an Ebbiolo, but a very sexy wine, in my opinion. I don't find any similarities with other Italian grape varieties like, I don't know, Grignolino, Schiava, Syrah. No, it's different than all the others. Getting a bit into the philosophy of how you work. I talked to you about a year and a half ago and it was in the middle of some world events that we won't mention but you said that you had started working more holistically with your farm. Would you talk a bit That's about that? I always make a question for myself, how I can do it better, how I can improve the quality of my products, I can live better, how I can do better. Every morning, every day, all day long, it's a bad life. I have a lot of friends from different regions of Italy and of the world that sometimes they provocate me because they know me, they knew that I was really, really strict on the 
perfect wines, technically perfect wines. I didn't accept any defects on wine. But luckily, I'm changed, and we change every year. I'm not the same person that I was uh, five years ago, and I'm still changing. And uh, tasting very great wines made me think on uh, the quality of my wines. I said, I'm, I don't produce grapes of enough quality to the target of wine I want to produce. So I needed to work more in the vineyard. So I tried many things, but I said, I'm not reaching the target. I don't know what to do. So I moved to organic in 17 as a test and a certification uh, under certification from 2020. And in 2020, I moved uh, to Biodynamic as well. So I had to do many courses of Biodynamic. I have a consultant for the Biodynamic preparation and uh, everything. And I'm still learning. So I'm the, I'm the elementary school of Biodynamic. I can't teach anything to anybody, but I'm still making questions myself, reading books. I have to say that I changed my approach and my wines have changed, have changed a lot. They are much more closer to my idea. Than in the past, I don't. I don't tell you that are better, but in my opinion, from a personal test, they are much better. Even if they are not yet the wines I want to produce, the wines have uh, something uh, that is probably an abstract uh, uh, sensation that is energy, more energy, and uh, I like them more than before. So they have much more personality than before. I didn't know that moving by dynamic, I start to think rethink, reading books, and they realize that uh, just uh, the grape growing and the wine production is not real biodynamic. So real biodynamic, biodynamic is something that you have to put, it comes into your life and becomes uh, a way of li- a live in some way. Uh, I'm not an extremist, so I can be 100% uh, like the guru in India, but uh, there's something I can do. For example, um, quick example, something very easy. The biodynamics says that if you eat well, you think well. So we have to pay a lot of attention on the food and what we drink because it's as well a nutrition of our soul, not only of our body. When we are adult, we don't have to grow anymore, but we have to do and give food energy even to our soul. And if you eat very well, you will have more good energy, so you think better and probably you apply better. So... I started to get more importance into my garden. So I started to talk, think about the water. A, a very stupid example. I used to have a plastic bottle for water. And one day my consultant said, yes, this is microbiologically pure, energetically that is in plastic. And I thought about the Coca-Cola. When you drink the Coca-Cola in the glass bottle, it's much better than the Coca-Cola in the plastic bottle. And then, uh, so now we drink just water, spring water from bottle, glass bottle that we produce at home. We don't use anymore the plastic for the planet and for us in terms of energetic. Then um, I started to think how I can feed me and my family in a better way. So for example, in 21, I seeded the spelt. So I produced my first pasta. We are Italian, we eat a lot of pasta. Pasta is really important. (laughs) In March, we start my project with uh, Off Garden and by dynamic for me and some restaurants of my territory in the Barolo region. I bought three ships. They are ecological grass cutters and they are they create movement in the farm. You know, if I have just vines, the vines are always in the same place. So I need some movement. We have the hands, we have the ships. It's a lot of work. Much more than before, but in some way I feel much more realized than before. Uh, everything makes more sense. 
the winery is, is becoming a farm. It takes time because it takes investment and nature answer to you slowly, much slower than uh, this historical period when people have to run fast. But I feel better. So I'm going that direction. I have a huge project even about the gardens, and um, but it takes time to realize everything. In this transition, at the same time, we're seeing more and more extreme weather and climate change is going faster and faster. How does those two things fit together? I think that um, it helps the way of management of my soils because biodynamics says uh, you have to start from the ground floor. When you build a house, the most important part is the basement, the foundation. And uh, so I'm still working, I'm working in the basement to recreate a life, pay attention a lot of the organic matter of my soils. It helps. For example, uh, I'm increasing the organic matter of my soils because I do the soil analysis every two, three years in a different plot to check what's happening. It is increasing. And the organic matter is like a sponge. So when it rains, usually in the last years, we don't have many rains, but when it rains, they are like water bombs. So like 50 millimeters in half an hour. So the rains usually fall down at the bottom of the hill and you lose a lot of this water. But if you have a soils rich in organic matter, they work like a sponge, so they keep the water and they save the water underground. So it's good for this global warming. I as well have to say that uh, it helps, but will be not enough to survive in the long terms. So it's helpful. Maybe I have a better quality than another than working conventional. I'm pretty sure about it. I'm not, I'm not only pretty. I'm really sure about it but probably cannot be enough in the long terms. I give an example. In 22, I didn't spray the preparation 501 during the season because 501 brings uh, light energy, but we had too much light in 22. We didn't have rain, warm temperatures, sunny every day. So I had to protect the, the grays from the sun. Why have to spray a preparation of light when I have too much light. So we have even to change our approach, to maybe being less dogmatic and following when, uh, what's happening to and take decision, quick decision. You talked about now during this interview that you've expanded slowly and gotten some new lands, some new vineyards. Do you see yourself keeping doing that? Do you, do you want to become a, a medium-sized producer or or do you, do you see yourself, you know, staying a garagist uh, in 10 years' time? My aim is to produce uh, in total 40,000 bottles of the white labels plus the new. That's my target. I don't know when I will reach this target because I even need to invest, build a small, small uh, new part of winery. Uh, I don't want to be my business victim. Not anymore. I used to dream it, but I don't want to do it anymore. There are many reasons. The first reason is that I'm living in a territory where the land is really expensive. Probably are the, the land is the most expensive in the, the whole country, Italy. And so I can afford 4 million euro per hectare. So I thought about it. And uh, at the end, if you have a smoke, I want to control everything because the wines are mine and they speak about my identity, my personality. And if I become too big, probably you have to demand to one employee to make the wine instead of me because I have to travel all around the world uh, to try to sell my bottles. It's not what I want to do. So the dream is to reach 40,000 bottles in seven hectares, eight hectares, depends on what's happening in the future, with one employee per hectare. 
I want to have a one person per actor, me included, because in that way we can be in time in every work and we have, we can be able to know each vine one by one. Because the question is not knowing the vineyard, knowing each vine one by one. At the moment we are four, where there's me, one employee graduated in enology with maximum votation that he drives the tractor, he works in the cellar, he do the labeling and uh, he do everything like me. And then uh, two senators that are my father and my father-in-law, they are retired, they don't get salary, so they are perfect employees. <laughs> they do them best, they don't do the precision works, but uh, they help us a lot in all, uh, in all the moment of the, of the life of a farm. Uh, at the moment we are four, but I know as well that they one day they can be helpful anymore in the farm, so I will have to substitute them with someone skilled. But I don't want to work with cooperative, I would like to work with the internal team. When you're not drinking wines from Piedmont, what kind of wines do you enjoy then? I landed in uh, Oslo three days ago, before uh, three days of uh, le, the Salon of Vendeloire. I spent one day at la Renaissance, one day at la Dive Bouteille, one day at la Levée, because I'm so curious. Uh, when we talk about uh, sparkling, uh, I drink mainly champagne, mainly, but I drink even some Italian uh, sparkling wine, Francia Corta, Trento, Trento more. When we talk about white wines, I a French lover. I used to love the Chardonnay once upon a time when it was possible to buy. Then even in France, the Chardonnay in Burgundy has changed. It is not anymore the Chardonnay of uh, years ago because even there the global warming has arrived. I drink Jura, for example. Uh, I love a lot of white wines made in Roussillon or uh, Sudwest. Uh, I'm a big fan of Chenin Blanc, the variety. In Italy, white wines that I love the most are the white wines made in the Etna region or in Campania, Avellino region, Marche, some Soave that are fantastic. And I have a, a dream one day to produce a white wine that I love a lot from Piedmont and is Erba Luce di Caluso. That is the potential of this variety, in my opinion, is unbelievable, but probably we lack in interpreters of high quality. So those are the white wines I drink the most. Ah, sometimes even Riesling from, from uh, Germany. Uh, once a year I, I have the Riesling week where I drink Riesling for one week and then I'm okay for one year. Then again, <laughs> I restarted the year after with my Riesling week. Gianluca Colombo of uh, Piemonte, the white wine lover making red wines. Thank you very much for coming on the show today. Thank you. I drink even red wines. I'm uh, I'm becoming a big fan of the Gamay yeah. from the Beaujolais because I can afford it. I drink Haute Côte de Bonne Pinot Noir because uh, I, uh, even the Syrah some, sometimes makes very very good wines or um, much more hard with the Cabernet Franc. So I drink mm. a lot. Yeah, I do as well. 